So today what I want to do is I want to kind of prime the pump a little bit for what I'm going to talk about tonight at our AGM meeting. And I want to talk this morning about discipleship. I mean, I realize in the 20 years, 20 plus years I've been following Jesus, in the 15 years that I've been pastoring a church, the word discipleship is a loaded term. And the reason it's a loaded term is because each and every one of us come at that word from a different perspective of what it means. And so I want us to kind of look at not so much what we think discipleship means, but rather, what does Jesus himself have to say about discipleship? Because ultimately, it doesn't matter what we think the word means. It doesn't matter what we think discipleship should be. Ultimately, it matters what Jesus thinks about discipleship. Now, last spring, if I don't know if you can remember where you were at in your mental headspace last spring. So last March, I was kind of a little bit in a funk because I was basically preparing for another summer holiday stuck at home. <laughs> That's what I was preparing for last spring. It's got kind of, oh, this COVID thing. It's just, we're not done with this yet. It's going to be another summer where my parents are not going to want us to visit them because they're concerned about their health. And I'm not going to be able to go visit my dad in Toronto and all of these things. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be stuck at home again for another summer. So I decide, well, if I'm going to be stuck at home again for another summer, I'm going to at least enjoy my house. And I'm going to have like an amazing summer stuck in my house. So Danielle and I, we did our budget, you know, we kind of do our budget, you know, we try to do it every couple of weeks. And sometimes we fall off the rails when we do that. But we sit down and we said, you know what we should do? We should buy one of those inflatable hot tubs. Have you ever seen those things? Like, they, they totally look like trailer trash, and I admit it, okay? But it was like, man, I'm putting one of those suckers in my backyard, and I'm going to build this whole little spa. If I'm not allowed to go to Nordique because it's shut down, I'm going to bring the Nordique spa to my backyard. So we figure it out. It's going to cost me about $500, to put this thing in my yard. So we go out and I go all over the city trying to find one because it turned out everyone else in the city was thinking the exact same thing, that we're all going to be stuck at home. So I find one at Canadian Tire. I drive an hour out of town to go pick it up, put it in the back of my van by myself, realizing this thing is several hundred pounds and I can barely lift it by myself. So it took me almost an hour to get it into my van. <laughs> and then I get it home and I start to set it up. And then I realized I have no way to power this thing. Like there's absolutely no way where the only spot in my yard that it can legally go in, I've got no way to get electricity to it. So I go, okay, well then I'm just going to call an electrician and see how, what I can do to get this in. So I get this electrician to come in and he gives me a quote of about $2,000 to run a power line directly to there. But he says, what you need to do first is you need to dig a trench which is about two feet deep or, or two and a half feet deep from one end of my house to com the complete opposite end of my house. It needs to be so much distance away from the house and so much depth. And then you need to put six inches of sand at the bottom of this thing. And then I'm going to run my cable. Then you're going to put six inches of sand on top of it. And then you can bury it up. Not a problem. I can do that. I'll get this done in a weekend. It's about... 30 feet long, <laughs> or 50 feet long even. I can get this done on the weekend. I take my shovel, I put it in the ground, and if you live in Orleans, you know where I'm going with this now. I get about this deep until I hit Orleans clay. 
and I got to go three feet. <laughs> so now I need to rent a backhoe. And so I call the backhoe company, and the rent the backhoe for the weekend is going to run me about another $1,000. <laughs> and so now I rent this backhoe, and I start digging in the backhoe. Now, if you've ever visited my house, in my backyard, I have a giant maple tree that's about 100 years old. So I've got roots that go all over my yard that are about that thick. So now I need to bring in a tree guy. Hey, you see where this is going? <laughs> And my tree guy gives me a quote of $900 to clean up a bunch of the branches that are in the way and to make sure as I devour all of these roots with this backhoe that this tree is not going to now blow over and fall onto my house next year. So my $500 little project to just sit in my inflatable hot tub for the summer is now running me well past $5,000. And the problem is I'm already committed to it. You can't stop. Once you've got a backhoe in your backyard and half of your yard dug up, you're now in for the long game, (laughs) right? And I share this story, so maybe some of you can relate with this. How many of you have ever done a project that has just spiraled out of control for you like this? Oh, please say I'm not the only one. Please, there's someone online who's putting their hand up. Okay, at least you see a couple of hands over here. Thank you, gentlemen, for admitting that it's not just me, right? It's pretty much all guys, right? We've all done this, (laughs) where we just take a sledgehammer to a wall and realize, oh, there's pipes there that I just went through, or whatever it is. Well, this is what I want to talk about today when it comes to the topic of discipleship. That when Jesus talks about us following him, Jesus actually tells the crowd to do something that we don't always tend to do. And it's to count the cost. It's to count the cost of discipleship. Again, we as a church family, we are celebrating our 50th year of ministry here in the city of Ottawa and ministry really all over the world through our church online ministry, through our missionaries, through our fellowship, through our church planters that we support. And what we really want to be doing as a leadership team, you know, as pastors, as elders, as deacons, our greatest desire for this coming year, for the 50th year of our church, is to ramp up, to ramp up your spiritual development. I mean, just this past week, I don't know how much you have been watching the news, but I have been glued to the television for the last few days. And the heartbreaking part of this for me personally is I personally know people on either side of the line. I know people who are important to me, who are on the protester side of the line. And I have friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, who are on the other side of the line in uniform. And suddenly you find yourself, what do you do in this tension? That this is where we have come to. And what God has just laid on my heart is nothing, nothing can ultimately solve the world's problems apart from the good news of Jesus. Nothing else will matter when it comes to eternity, when it comes to, you know, how 
you know, government goes, how Canada goes, how the world goes, is the world needs men, women, boys and girls who are reflecting Jesus everywhere that they go. And that's going to take an intentionality of discipleship. And again, but there's this tension of what does discipleship even mean? So I believe that God has big, big plans for you. Whether you have big plans for you, that's fine. But I believe, as I study scripture, that God has big plans for you in this world. And I want to make sure that we as a church do our part to equip you and whatever God has planned for you and your family and your career and your life and your influence in the world. So I want to read here from Luke chapter 14. And this is a very familiar passage if you've been to church for a long time. I'm going to read from uh, verse 25. And this is the heading here in my NIV Bibles in these big bold letters says the cost of being a disciple. So let me read here Luke 14 starting in verse 25. It says large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them he said, let me just stop there for a moment. This is, again, this is, the, this is the big thing that Jesus wants to highlight here. Any dynamic, charismatic speaker can draw a crowd. It's not hard to draw a crowd. Just look at what social media is doing in our culture today. You can be a very dynamic speaker, a very engaging speaker, a very charismatic speaker, and you will have a lot of crowd suddenly following you. Because the algorithms are actually built to do that, to actually draw a crowd so that they can make more money. So it's very, very easy to draw a crowd. I remember Francis Chan put this on Twitter a few years ago. He said it's very easy to grow a church. Good music, dynamic speaker. And you will have tons of people coming, but is that discipleship? And this is what Jesus is talking about. He sees these large crowds that are following him everywhere, these crowds that are traveling with him, who want to see the miracles, who want to see him make make more bread, heal the sick, do all of these things. And then Jesus says these words in verse 26. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Ouch. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose you want to build a tower or a hot tub. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, 
let them hear. I always love these passages when Jesus says this. If you have ears, if you are able to hear this, hear this. This is like one of these big giant emphasis things that he does when he says to a crowd, man, if you can hear this, I don't want you to just hear this and say, well, that was a great message, Jesus. I really, really loved that. You know, you had a good number of jokes and it was a good exegetical movement. And I like how you unpack the scroll there and then move on with your life. No, Jesus is saying, no, if you hear this, do something with this. This is important. And Jesus is doing a teaching here. Again, it can seem a little rough. You need to hate your wife. You need to hate your husband. You need to hate your parents. You need to hate your children. Now, if you're here today and you hate your spouse and you hate your parents and you hate your children, there might be a lot of discipleship we need to do with you. Because it's not actually what he's talking about. He's using a teaching method here, which is called hyperbole. It's an exaggeration, right? It's the idea of if your eye is cutting you, causing you to sin, pluck it out, right? Because if this was a literal commandment of Jesus, the church would be filled with blind people, right? We'd all be blind, every single one of us. Why? Because all of us, all of our eyes cause us to sin, whether it's sexual temptation, whether it's material temptation, with the lust of the eyes, all of these things, we all suffer from it at some point in our lives. The church would just be filled with blind people. So it's a hyperbole. It's an exaggeration. It would also be filled, the church would also be filled with people who have no hands. If your hands cause you to sin, cut it off. We'd all be blind, stumpy people in the church. So it's not what Jesus is talking about here when he says that we need to hate our spouse, hate our parents, hate our children. But there is an important thing about discipleship that needs to be looked at here because Jesus looks at this as so crucially important. And it's the difference between the crowd and those who truly follow him. And so what I want us to look at is this cost of discipleship here that Jesus talks about. And there's three key things that I want us to look at. And then I want us to look at another parable so that we can see why we don't actually do this. Like, what is it in my life? What is it in your life that keeps you from this level of discipleship, of following Jesus that Jesus talks about? The Bible actually gives us the answer. So let's look at these three things of what the call of discipleship is. And I encourage you to write these down. You could talk about them in your life group this week. The first is the call of discipleship. The cost of discipleship is a call to a new priority. It's a call to a new priority. Again, let me look here again at verse 26, right, where it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father or mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, again, Jesus is not encouraging you to abandon your family, abandon your marriage, abandon your, your responsibilities as a parent. He's not calling you to uh, live the life of a monk out in the wilderness. But he's explaining that even our devotion to our family, even our devotion to our marriage 
isn't as important as our devotion to God. Because it's actually out of our devotion to God that we get a stronger marriage. That it's actually out of our following of Jesus that we become better parents. It's actually out of our following of Jesus that we become a better daughter. That we become a better son to our parents. Right? It's, it's, it's putting things in the right priority. We need to have a different priority than the world around us. See, and I get the tension of a, of, a, of a verse like this. I mean, I've been doing ministry for a long time. And a lot of the times when we as pastors see people step back from their faith in Jesus, where they don't make their faith in Jesus a priority, you know when the number one, reason, the number one time of life when people um, take a step back from discipleship is? It's when they have kids. You know why? Because kids are exhausting. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm going to look at you. I know. Okay? You're exhausting. Children are exhausting. Your parents are exhausted. You suck all the energy out of them. Okay? And so extra stuff, reading my Bible. I don't have time to do it. I can barely stay awake. I can't join a life group. I can't volunteer in a ministry. I just have to focus on my kids. I just got to get through the day. And I get it. We've been there, right? But what Jesus is saying, you got to keep that following of Jesus a priority, you know, when we kind of get into this language, and I hear about this language more and more and more in Western Christianity, and I even hear it in our church, too, that my walk with Jesus is not my priority right now. My walk with Jesus is not my priority. My children are my priority. Or my parents are getting older now. They are my priority. Or my career is my priority. Or my education is my priority. Again, all of those things are good things. And you need to give energy to those things. You need to give time to those things. But Jesus says, if that's your priority, you're in trouble. Because you won't be as good of a parent as you could have been. If you put Jesus first, you won't be as good of a spouse. If you put, if you didn't put Jesus first, you won't be as good at your job. You won't be as good in your education. Jesus is calling the church to make sure we have the right priority. I love the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter six, verse 33. He gives us the answer to this problem. When we say, well, I'm just going to put my kids first. I'm just going to put my marriage first. Just going to take care of my aging parents first. Just going to put my career first. Just going to put my education first. Jesus says these words. If you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, then all these things will be given to you. It's the priority of Jesus first. It's the priority of Jesus first. Seek first his will his kingdom, his righteousness, and then all the other things that you want, you'll get them. They'll come, but they come from that relationship first. So that's the first thing about discipleship, the call of discipleship. The cost of being a disciple is to make sure we have a new priority. 
The second thing that Jesus talks about here is the call to a new life. Right In verse 27, it says, And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That we need to carry our cross. Um, when I was a teenager, I worked probably for about five years. So it's like my last couple of years of high school and my first few years of CJEP when I was living in Montreal. It's kind of like college. And uh, those five years, I worked at Burger King. How many of you worked in fast food before? A few hands before. Weren't there days where that felt like you were bearing a cross? <laughs> Nothing made me work harder at school than those five years at Burger King. I remember one year I was the guy who had to go outside. We had this thing outside of the building called the grease pit where we took all the grease from the French fry fryers and we poured it down this hole. And once every three months, a company would come with this big giant vacuum and stick it down there and suck up all the grease. And then I would have to go down this pit with a little scraper thing and scrape the grease off the walls so that this vacuum tube that's down there when I'm in there broke every safety code in Canada doing this. Like, it's not safe. You don't put some 16-year-old punk kid down some pit like this. This is what we do for $5 an hour, okay? That's what it was back then, $5 an hour. You do a 10-hour shift. It's like, I made 50 bucks. I'm rich, right? Grease up to my knees, scraping these walls. And then I was telling this story one day to my pastor in Montreal before I went into ministry. And he's like, wow, it really sounded like you had to, that was a cross to bear. And we've developed this little bit of a false theology, I think, as Western Christians, that hard work is a cross. Because we prefer comfort. We prefer ease. We don't want to, we just want blessings of God, but we don't actually want to work hard. And so we have this theology that hard work is a cross. But that's not what actually the Bible teaches. This isn't what Jesus is saying here. Burger King was not a cross to bear. See, the reason I'm called to bear a cross is because I am called to die. That's the purpose of the cross. The cross is not just to have hard work. The the cross is not just a slight inconvenience. The cross of Christ is death. That is why Romans used the cross. It wasn't to to put inconvenience into your life. It was to kill your life. And we pick up our cross daily. Because I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. You see, the call of discipleship is a call to a radically different life. It's not about your inconvenience. It's about what your life reflects. Have you died to your wants, your desires, your dreams? And have you made God's wants and desires and dreams the priority of your life? And again, if you do that, according to Jesus, all these other things, your wants, your desires, and your dreams get taken care of. But it's pursuing God's will first. So the cost of discipleship is about a cost of a new priority, cost of a new life. And then the third thing is that it's a call to change the world. See, we gather together as the church to grow in our faith, 
to see the world around us changed, starting with our own world, starting with our own world. In verse 34, 35, how Jesus finishes off this hyperbole story here, he says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. You see, we as the church, you as a follower of Jesus, are called to be the salt of the earth. Your life, God gave it to you to make a difference for God's glory, whether it's in your business, it's in your place of work, whether it's in your school, whether it's in your community, whether it's here in our church family. God created you for a specific purpose. I say this all the time, that you are not an accident. God created you with an intentional plan to bring him glory. Be the salt of the earth. See, the call of the people of God since the very beginning of the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation is to be a blessing to all the nations. That's our role. The role of the church, the role of my life, the role of your life is to be a blessing to all the nations. That's why I say when God's got a big plan for you, he's got a huge plan for you. That We all have this role to play. And so the big idea that I want you to kind of remember today as we talk about this topic is this, right? Giving up everything ultimately gives us everything, Giving up everything, our priorities, our life, our desires, our wishes, our dreams, giving up everything for God's everything brings us everything, brings us close to God, brings us close to one another. It's these massive changes in our life all around us. And ultimately, the cost of discipleship, when we really, really look at it, it's really not that great of a cost for us. When we actually compare to the cost that God paid for you to be his child, for you to follow Jesus, because it actually cost God everything. Your following of Jesus cost God everything because he's the one who died sin. He's the one who sent his son. He's the one who went to the cross. He's the one that the full wrath of God against sin wasn't poured on us, but it was instead placed on Jesus on the cross. And that the second part of the Trinity, God the Son, was somehow, and I can't even get my brain around it theologically, because he's somehow separated from God because of sin. And he cries out, Abba, Abba. Because he loves you. Though this call to follow cost us really nothing. Because it cost God everything. So what I want to do just in the remainder of our time together is look at, I, I get this is a challenge. And it's been a challenge in my life in different seasons. Just like I know as I walk alongside so many people. It's a challenge to figure out why do I not do this? 
I know what I should do, but I don't do it. How come my faith is just not a priority? Well, again, Jesus gives us the answer of how kind of this works. And he does this in a parable, which we can read about in Matthew chapter 13. I'm not going to read the whole parable. You can read that in your life group together this week for this, just for the sake of time this morning. But um, it's the parable of the sower. And Jesus tells a story of a farmer who's got a big bag of seed. And he basically the way farming worked back then is you had this big giant field and you stuck your hand in the bag and you just threw the seed to the wind. <laughs> and you threw the seed and you threw the seed. And then the seed falls all over the place. And he talks about how some seed falls on a rocky path. Like it's not even soil. It's just like it falls on stones and birds come down and they eat the seeds. And it's like a feast, a free meal for the birds. He talks about sometimes it falls in some soil, but it's not very deep. And there's lots of weeds and thorns in there. So the plant starts for a little while, then it dies. Another time it falls in soil that's kind of shallow and rocky and it's not the best soil. So the roots don't get to go very deep. So when the sun comes out, it kind of kills the plant. And he says, but then sometimes... The seed falls on good soil. And then you get this huge crop, which is 10, 30, 50, 80, 100 times more than what was put into the ground. And then Jesus explains that parable to his followers. right? And he explains this is the pattern of discipleship. This is what happens in our hearts. As followers of Jesus, this is what happens in the lives of of people who hear the good news, right? And so here it talks about in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 13, he explains it, you know. He talks about what these things are. So down in verse 20, right, he's talking about the seed sown along the path, right? So it says the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. You see, one of the reasons why we don't make our walk with Jesus the priority is because when life gets hard. And how many of you, show of hands, sometimes life is hard. Okay, good, not just me. (laughs) Life is hard. The world we live in today is hard. It's complicated. It's messy. It's hard. And Jesus knows this. He says, so sometimes what happens is we just don't make our following of Jesus the priority. We don't don't make following Jesus the priority because it's just too hard right now. And so we don't bear much fruit. The other thing that Jesus talks about as he continues here in verse 22, he says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Again, so it's this idea that we just don't get very deep in our faith because we have other worries that take over. And he specifically highlights the worry of money. Just got to make more money. Just got to make more money. Just got to make more money. I just have to provide. I just got to pay these bills. I got this debt. I got this thing going on. And it can weigh on us. 
or there's the deceitfulness of money. Well, if you just had this new car, your life would be awesome. If you could upgrade from an inflatable hot tub to a really nice spa that sits 10 people so my entire life group could come over and we could all have life group in my spa on Tuesday nights. Okay, I think I need one of these for ministry. You know, it's like it's, there's this deceitfulness that if I just buy that, if I just own that, if I just had this, then I'll be happy. <laughs> there's this deceitfulness at play all the time, right? And the other thing, the first thing that Jesus talks about when he talks about this message being heard, ultimately discipleship has to start by making sure the word of God has never been truly snatched away from us. And this is sometimes, and it happens within the church because Jesus actually warns people who are part of the crowd. And judgment day, when Jesus is going to say words, well, I don't know who you are. Because it's not about being a part of the crowd. It's actually being a part of what God is actually doing in the world. It's actually about turning from our sin and giving our lives to Christ. Like he, when he talks about this first kind of soil, he says, anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. See, in this parable of the sower, there's only one time when the bird comes. And it's when we never let the word of God change us. <laughs> And that's why we take communion. It's to be reminded that ultimately our discipleship didn't cost us anything, but cost God everything. And that if we actually give up everything, we will gain everything because of God's message, of because of what we study in the word of God, of what, because of what the church has been proclaiming for 2000 years, that your sins are forgiven. And you just need to turn from those sins, those sins that we like, the sins that tug our heart. And we turn to God and we say, Father, forgive me, a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died for me, that his body was broken for me, that his blood was spilt for me. And so, God, I give you my everything. And so let's, we're going to just take a quick moment to take communion together. Hopefully you got one of these communion cups. It's in two parts. The first little flap will open up to get the wafer. And then the second part is to open up for the juice. And so we'll take this together. And this is for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus. And if you're here today, or if you're watching online and you've never put your faith in Jesus, you can actually do that right now, even before taking this. Right where you are, you can pray a simple prayer. Father, forgive me, a sinner. I give you my life. If you pray those simple words today, you're welcome to join us in communion. If you pray that prayer today online, let us know. If you pray that in person, let me know after the service today. But today, we're just going to take a moment to remember the body of Christ broken for us. That it's the fact that God paid everything. God paid everything, <laughs> excuse me, so that you and I could have everything, so that we could have God, that we could have the righteousness of God in our lives when we make him the priority. So let's take this in remembrance of him.
And then we take this juice, which represents the blood of Christ, the blood that was spilled. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. And so this is why we take this, remembering that it's not my blood that had to be spilt. And I can praise God for that. That the punishment that I deserved, because I know my sin. I know where my thoughts have gone. I know where my heart has gone. I know where my feet have taken me in my 50 years of life. And praise be to God that it's not my blood that's spilt, but that it's his. And so we take this in remembrance of him. So why do we want to make discipleship, the following of Jesus, a higher priority in our church? Now, we have always made this a priority, absolutely. But we want to ramp this up. (laughs) We want to get better at seeing more and more and more people reflecting a life that looks like the life of Christ, that is empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to live the life of Christ in your workplace, in your school, wherever God sends you. Why do we want this? Why should we kind of just not settle for kind of church life that's fine? Well, it's because of the last soil here in this parable of the, of the sower, where Jesus says this in verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. You see, when Jesus talks about this here in Luke chapter 14, where he says, you know, when he's talking about your relationship with your parents, and maybe some of you don't have a great relationship with your parents, well, if we could just sow a little bit more seed into you, then that relationship will improve a hundred, sixty, ten, whatever it is, but it's an improvement. You know, for those of you, when it talks about kind of your relationship with your spouse, and maybe you're dealing with struggles, well, if we could just sow a little bit more seed into you, then your marriage becomes a hundred times, fifty times, ten times better. It produces more fruit. Your relationship with your kids, all the things that you worry about in your life, your job, your education, the sins that you're struggling with, if we would just make this more of a priority, then you see the benefit from it. That's why this stuff gets me so excited. Now, I could talk about this stuff for six to seven hours. Now, I'm not going to do that tonight at the AGM. I'll try to keep it shorter. But I want to explain to you tonight how we feel God is calling us to do this. And hopefully you'll get excited to be a part of it because God wants so much more for you. Stop settling for a faith that's fine. And our house finds the F word. And I don't want fine for your life. I don't want fine for your career. I don't want fine for your relationships with people. I want so much more for you. So we'll do our part, but you got to do your part in seeing what God wants to do as we follow him. So let's pray. Lord God, I praise you for the call that Jesus gives us to be the salt of the earth and how if we be willing 
to um, surrender to new priorities, to surrender to a new life, to answer the call, to change the world, starting with our own world, Lord, that you will bear much fruit. And so, God, I just pray for our church family that you would truly continue to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine, that we would see you at work in our relationships, that we would see you at work in our places of work, in our places of school and education, where we go for our hobbies, where we go for our fun. And Lord, that you would bear much fruit as we make following you the priority of our life. And so, Father God, I pray for all of us that you would speak even today. Each of us have a step. Each of us have a step that we could take. And God, I know I'm not wise enough to tell people what that step is. But I know, God, you are. So, Father, speak to us as we continue to worship. We are listening. We want to hear your voice. Help us to draw closer to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.